0: You know, I have to say, as I I think back to graduating, the hardest thing for me was uh, the moving out part. And uh, for me, the hardest part about moving out was Realizing that the pantry didn't replenish itself that you had to go shopping. I don't know why but I just thought like this magic pantry because at home when you live with your parents right you eat you eat you eat you eat and then you magically go back to the pantry and there's new stuff. And I remember that first time I went to the pantry and it was completely empty and I was like what is this? What what happened here? Uh, Some words of wisdom to you guys. There are reasons your parents said not to do certain things. If you eat a whole can of Ready Whip, you will not feel good. Personal experience, Okay. If you drink a whole 12-pack of grape soda in one evening, you will not like how you feel, okay? Um, a lot of the things your parents gave you advice on, there was a reason behind it. So as soon as you're free and on your own, don't think you should just ignore all that advice. There's typically a reason they gave it to you, okay? So, so keep that in the back of your heads. My advice, of course, is only around food and soda. So that's, that's all I really have for you. Um, we are gonna do a sermon, a short sermon. <laughs> we'll see. Um, And today it's going to be in Joshua chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open with me to Joshua chapter 3. And I want to talk a little bit about this concept of time. Uh, for, For us as graduates and for us who, when you kind of hit the end of the school year, it's funny, once you have kids in school, you no longer really think about January as the start of the year. It's August, it's when your kids go to school that the year year kind of starts for you. And there's always this moment as you come to the end of a school year where you kind of reflect. You reflect on how much they've grown, you reflect how much they've changed, you think about how they've learned, Uh, you think about what's coming next. As Christians, I think it's very important for us to have a proper perspective on how you and I relate to time. Because you can relate to time in the wrong ways. There's a lot of us who live in the past. There's some moment in the past or some period of time in the past that we have glorified and sometimes deified, that we have held on to, and we wish that we could go back to those glory days. you remember that Bruce Springsteen song, Glory Days? We'll about the guys who meet up and talk about high school and how great it was back then when they were stars on the football team or baseball team? Anybody met that guy who still like 35 years later tells you about the high school football game? If you're not raising your hand, I'm assuming you're that guy. <laughs> you don't ever want to look at something in the past and lock that in as the greatest moment of your life. Because what does that mean about the future? The other thing you have to be careful about the past is to be honest, even though we lived through it, we still have the ability with our memories to kind of rewrite them. To see them sometimes either through a lens that's too dark or sometimes through a lens that's too light. And if we actually really remember being in those moments, we sometimes find they were a little bit more in the middle than they were before. Living in the future is even more dangerous. Because at least with the past, There was a moment we lived through. There was a reality we passed through. And so while we can stretch it one way or the other, we can't get too far from the actual events that occurred. But with the future, we don't know what it holds. And so often you have people who live in the hope of the future. Oh, when I graduate, I'm gonna do these things. Oh, when I retire, I'm gonna do these things. Oh, when I get that next promotion, I'm gonna do these things. Oh, when I get that next raise. right? You have that moment that is out here in the future and you're saying, once I get there, then everything will be great. The problem becomes is that often that date just kind of keeps moving and moving or you get to that place and suddenly realize it could never live up to the expectations that you had. There's a book I love, it's called The Screwtape Letters, it's written by C.S. Lewis and in this book it's a fictional novel that talks about a demon that's trying to keep Christians from being in a good relationship with God. And this demon has been given advice by a senior demon on how to keep people away and he goes, don't ever let them live in the present. Either let them live in the past or let them live in the future. But not the present because the present is the only time where they can live now. The present is the only time where our lives intersect with God's time, which is eternity. So don't let them live there. Either have them hoping or fearing what will come or have them trapped in the past. But dear God, do not let them live in this moment. And so as Christians, we need to think about that. I want to challenge you though today with something about the past because to be honest, I think sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to the past. We don't ever want to live in the past, but there are times and places where going back to look what we've accomplished with God is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And in fact, we see God calling his people to do that at certain moments. In Joshua chapter 3, we see one of these occur. In Joshua chapter 3, starting in verse 7, it says this, it says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, and if you don't remember, Joshua is the young man who had been the assistant and apprentice to Moses, one of the greatest leaders of all time. Moses has now passed, and Joshua has the responsibility to take over and lead Israel into the promised land. And in chapter 3, where we're catching him is the very beginning of his ministry. And this is what the Lord said. He said, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you. Jump down with me to verse 14. In verse 14 it says, So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priest, carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priest carrying the Ark were dipped into the edges of the water, the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap, a great distance away at Adam the city that is beside Zareth, And those which were following down toward the Sea of the Arabah and the Salt Sea were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground, until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Mm-hmm. Now, brothers and sisters, let's pause there for a moment. Does this story remind you of any other story that you've read in the Bible. For those of you that have gone through Sunday school, you probably remember the story of Moses in the Red Sea. Right, we remember the story of Moses and the Israelites fleeing the Egyptians, them hot on their heels, and coming to the shores of the Red Sea going, what now? God freed us from Egypt for what? That we can stay here and have them kill us from behind? that we can plunge into the sea above us and die? Why has God done this thing? And in that moment where it felt like they were completely and utterly trapped, what happened? God split the seas. The people of Israel marched across dry ground. And as soon as they were safety and their enemies were in the midst of the dry ground, the waters came crashing down upon them. Now brothers and sisters, remember that The generation of people here in Joshua are the children and grandchildren of the people who eyewitnessed that. So while I'm sure they had heard that story probably more times than they could count, think of the beautiful gift that God was giving them in this moment. God was intentionally and purposely calling them back to that moment to remind them That the same God, with the same power, with the same love, with the same protection that brought your parents and your grandparents out of Egypt, the God that saved them from certain death and performed the almighty miracles that shook the earth, that same God, He's with you today. And the same power and the same protection and the same love that He offered them, He now offers to you. Amen. Why does God do that? God does that because He needs His people to be encouraged. See, as they enter the promised land, God is going to be right there with them. God is going to fight side by side. And many times, God solely will deliver the victory for the people. But his people will have to fight. His people will face opposition. His people will struggle. And he knows for many of these people, they haven't experienced that. In their life they have been nomads in the desert wandering. They have not been a mighty army. They've never really made a permanent home. And so not only will they face the opposition of an actual army standing against them, but they will also fight that internal opposition. The opposition that comes from when you're trying to redefine who you are. I don't know if any of you went through this, but uh, I had some buddies who, after high school, kind of had an identity crisis. A lot of times it was the ones that in high school were popular, influential, influential. Maybe they were the quarterback of the football team or maybe they were the captain of the dance team or whatever but they were somebody of significance and influence. They were somebody that the school knew. They were someone the school paid attention to. They were someone that whenever they did something people paid attention. And then after high school what happened was they went to college and all of a sudden they go from being the star football guy to just another student. You're just like everybody else. And in that moment, what they find is is that their identity had been so tied up, not in who they were, but in the role they had filled, that they now had to figure out who they were. They didn't know. And to be honest with you all, adults, it's not that much different for us. How many of us, if we lost our job, how many of us would go through a crisis of under, wondering almost who we are? How many of us, if we lost some key ability that we have used all of our lives to make a name for ourselves or to do our work, if we lost that, would suddenly go, I, I don't know who I am. Because many of us, our identity is not in who God the Father says we are. Amen. Many of us have based who we are and how we see ourselves and how the world around us sees us. And so what God knew for the people of Israel is not only were they going to have this physical opposition of an army standing against them, but they themselves were going to have to find a new identity. No longer nomads, no longer wanderers, but now the people of God in a home, in a land that he has given them with a kingdom that needs to be built. And while that image, by leaps and bounds, is better than what they were before, It's new. And many of us, when that fear of the new stands in front of us, we don't move forward. That's why all of us could probably sit here and off the top of our heads, name friends, family members, or maybe even ourselves, who are in terrible jobs that we hate. Every day, complain about them. Every day, talk about how miserable they make us. Every day, talk about how it's a soul-sucking process to go to work. Yet, never try to get a different job. Never apply somewhere else. Or how about those people you know that are in a terrible relationship, but stay in it and won't leave? Why do they do that? Why would people stay in a bad place when there's so many options around them? They stay because even though it's bad there, it's known. They've learned how to function. They've learned how to survive in that environment. And what they don't know is, that thing out there, I don't know what that is. might be worse. might be scarier. So I'll just stay here, miserable, but knowing how to move forward. Brothers and sisters, that is not what God has called us to. That is not how God wants us to live. Amen. And that's why at this moment where Israel is about to face these two oppositions, God calls these people to remember who he is and what he has done for them. To remind them, hey children, if I'm the God that was with your parents, and as they stood at the shores of a sea facing the most powerful army in the world at that time, and I delivered them, how much more will I make you victorious today crossing this river? How much more victorious will I make you against these tiny little kingdoms that no one knows? If I, your God, could deliver you from that, then I can deliver you from this. And I want you to pay attention to what he does next. Look what he instructs the people chapter 4 he says, Now when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourself twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourself twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask you later, What do these stones mean? Then you shall say to them, Because of the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Do you see what God does? He goes, not only have I done this for you in this generation today, but I want you to remember this victory. Go to the dry riverbed, Pull up stones and you build a memorial out of those. So that in future generations, when your children pass by this memorial of stones and go, What's this? It's this pile of rocks. You will remember this story and you will tell them of what we did this day. Why? Because it will encourage them. It will give them hope. It will give them courage. It's funny, brothers and sisters. This story to me is, it always just hit me so hard. In fact, these are my memorial stones. So, long ago, I decided that instead of getting souvenirs at key moments of life and key places, that I instead would find a rock. I'd find a rock from those places to remind myself of the victory or the fun or the joy or the special moments that happened there. And I keep this in my office as a reminder to all those moments. I have one from Corpus where my wife's from. I have one from my college that I graduated from. I have one from each of the vacations I've taken with my family. But there's one that actually doesn't come from anywhere as far as a place that I've been. It's this white stone here. This white stone here is actually the one that probably inspires me the most. It inspires me the most because it reminds me of a promise that God makes to us about what awaits us. And it's found in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, it tells us about a time when you and I will no longer be in the darkness of this world, but we will be with our Father in glory. Amen. And it says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on that stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. God's saying to us there is that he has a stone for us. The stone for us that on that day when we are in heaven, he will give to you. And on that stone will be a name that only you and him know. A name that's not the one your father gave you, but a name that your father in heaven has given you. And he will give you that stone to proclaim the victory that you've achieved in him. See where this tradition came from with a name on a stone it comes from the Romans. The Romans, when they had these athletic events for the winner, the stone would be given with their name on it, and that stone gave them access to a winner's banquet an amazing party with all the best foods, with all the finest clothes, with all the finest things. But the only way in was to have that stone that showed you had won. And so, brothers and sisters, I encourage you as you look at your life to think about both those kinds of stones. The ones that come from those moments in your past. Not the bad moments, but the good ones. The moments where your God had given you victory. Where your God had given you joy. Where your God had shown you the amazing love and power that he has and how he can use even you to show that to the world. And to think also about that stone that awaits you. That stone that you will one day get with a name on it that only He knows. Amen. That shows you have run the race, that you have kept the faith, that you have done the work He has asked you to do. Now the key, brothers and sisters, is that you realize your life is in between those two things. You don't live in the past and you don't live in the future. You only live right now. Amen. that's why I encourage you, don't don't think too far ahead. (coughs) Think in your own life, can I right now with the breath in these lungs, can I give glory to God? Can I right now with the breath in these lungs take one step closer to Him? Can I right now with the breath in these lungs serve Him and honor Him? Can I take one little tiny step closer into His glory. I do that because I am encouraged by what He has brought me through and I am hopeful for where He will lead me. In the Bible it said, thanks be to God who gives us thy victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, He will be with you He will give you that victory if you walk by His side. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You, Lord, for all the times that You have been with us. For the times, Lord, where it has been Your strength, Your power, Your love, Your mercy that has brought us through the darkness, that has won the day, that has brought us victory. Father, you raise us up to be a people that do not defeat, but know what it's like to be a champion, to be the royalty of heaven, to be brothers and sisters with Christ, to sit upon a throne of your righteousness. Father, let us live like that. Thank you for everything you have done for us. And let that encourage us to take today by the horns and to live it with all the strength we have. Father, we love you, we cherish you. And today, today, Lord, we will serve you. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. May I ask uh, Brother Joe to come forward with me? Uh, Brother James is teaching, so he won't be in the back. Uh, Brother Pablo, uh, he'll come up as well. Uh, While Maria is leading us through song, if there is anything on your heart, anything that you just want to know that somebody else is praying for, feel free to come up and pray with us. Uh, We're always here for you. We're always here to help you along the journey. And as always, if you don't feel comfortable coming up during service, please seek us out after. Uh, We are here at all times to help you walk through the path with the Lord. Amen.
1: Let's all stand. Finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven, the King of kings called. grip on me you have broken every chain the sound
0: those of you that are here today, you have witnessed three amazing things, well, four. You've witnessed birthdays and anniversaries. you witnessed us acknowledging our amazing teachers. You've witnessed us acknowledging our graduates. And you have witnessed the shortest sermon that I have ever given in my entire life. I wish James was in this room, because I know he thought the day that I would preach for under 30 minutes would never happen, and so you guys need to go